Welcome to the Heart of Rural America podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Radke, an American cattle rancher and motivational speaker, raising my kids and writing children's books in South Dakota. There's a David and Goliath story unfolding in agriculture today. And I don't know about you, but my money is on the underdog, the hardworking folks who value faith, family, freedom, and their farming communities. This show will highlight the untold stories of these resilient and determined families who I have the great pleasure of meeting in my travels across this nation as an agricultural speaker. It is my hope that their stories will remind us to live with great courage because we are not alone in this fight to keep producers on the land and meet dairy and eggs on the dinner table. Now let's hit the dusty trail together as we uncover the heart of rural America. Welcome to your show. Here's my mom, Amanda Wacky. It's Amanda Radke here on the Heart of Roll America podcast. We are breaking routine a little bit this week with a special time-sensitive report that I think everybody needs to tune into. It relates to private property rights in this country, which are very much at risk. And so if you own one acre, if you own a quarter of an acre in town, or if you own 10,000 acres somewhere across this great country of ours, this impacts you, this matters to you. And I'd invite you to tune in, buckle up and get ready for a very important conversation. Today, I have a very special guest, Mark Lapka. Uh, He is a rancher from South Dakota who is very involved in this issue that's unfolding in a five state area. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for being on. And I'm excited to dive into this issue you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Amanda. It's good to, good to speak with you. So folks that might be not in tune with what's going on in South Dakota and the surrounding region, there is a proposed carbon pipeline that plans to come through our state that is impacting families uh, like yours. And I guess for those who have heard nothing about it, can you tell us, just kind of give us a, a 30,000 feet view of, of what's going on right now? Well, when I first became aware of it was a uh, uh, latter August of 2021 when we re- received our uh, information from the company. And I guess at the time, I just figured that it was an oil or a natural gas pipeline. I didn't even realize the existence of CO2 pipelines at the time. Well, as I did a little bit more digging into it and became aware of exactly what it is, it's a pipeline that they propose. They're going to capture the carbon dioxide that's emitted from ethanol plants. They're going to run it through giant compressors to put it into the pipe under such huge, enormous amounts of pressure of 2,200 PSI, and then pump it underground into permanent underground storage in the state of North. And so I guess that was something that I had never heard about, never thought that I would see in my lifetime. And then I I, I tried to keep an open mind, however, but in their initial public meetings in um, October of 2021, uh, a gentleman in the crowd asked him that, "Are, are you planning on using eminent domain for this project? And I guess I went into that meeting thinking that eminent domain couldn't be used for this as this is purely a private enterprise and not for public use or or for the public good. Well, they wouldn't commit to not using eminent domain. And then that was the time that I really became concerned because if it's something that I, I don't think is safe or something that I don't feel is a purpose for, I shouldn't have to commit to using my land for that against my wishes. And so as this process has kind of unfolded throughout the meantime, they have 
utilize eminent domain. There's over 120 families and individuals in the state currently under condemnation proceedings. And it's become a very uh, contentious private property issue because we've, we found out in the meantime that uh, um, you always would think in the state of South Dakota, our private property rights would be as strong as anywhere. However, we found out that they're not. And so what is the gaping hole in the private property laws that exist in South Dakota? How are we not protected? Because I, I made the assumption that that the laws would protect from something like this, and that is not true. Well, there's a couple egregious laws, I believe, that uh, really affect it. Number one, in 2016, the South Dakota State Legislature passed a law that is uh, able to let any company that has an active application with the PUC to survey private property without any permission, without any consent, or without any compensation. And I guess that just kind of floored all of us, and uh, none of us had the realization that that was even there. And um, we attempted in the, the past legislative session to do something about that particular law. Um, those efforts were unsuccessful. We elected to challenge the constitutionality of that law. For the meantime, it has been upheld within uh, district courts. And so we have appealed that to the South Dakota Supreme Court because, you know, we were concerned about it. Um, the companies really lobbied to keep that in place. But the reality of that has really hit home in the last several months. They've forced their way on surveying. And you, you think a survey, what are they going to do? They're going to come out with a transit and, you know, look around and take elevations. But no, they're coming in with drilling rigs, drilling anywhere from 100 to 200 deep holes. I've, I've talked with utility companies trying to figure out what that's about. Nobody seems to know. They're coming in um, with uh, excavators and digging 10 foot by 10 foot uh, by 10 foot pits. You know, we're, we're not too sure what that's all about. There's all kinds of damage and chaos going on. And even just in the last few days, we had surveyors going through a pasture full of cattle. The cattle got spooked, broke through the fence, were running through cornfields turned into a big mess and, and the company representatives just simply took off and denied that anything even happened. There was an incident down uh, south of Aberdeen, Jared Bosley, a family farmer and rancher, they came in there, they parked right in his yard. The sheriff's deputies escorted the company. They were right in his yard. They opened five gates, went through all of his feedlots and cattle pens, which everybody from the Midwest knows how our yards are situated for the winters that we have. And it, it really hit home. I, I myself went down there and then they went right through a shelter belt, drove over his newly planted trees, got 500 feet north of his house and proceeded to start drilling these holes. After they drilled their holes, the, the slurry that they drilled the holes with, they come back and they dumped in the township ditch, which there was no consequences for them. And, you know, we've kind of learned that the law works one way in this aspect. And then that are, are so terrible in our state are the eminent domain laws. Any company that is a pipeline company that simply holds themselves out to the public as being classified a common carrier, boom, they have the power of eminent domain. All they have to do is basically create a website saying they're a common carrier and there's nothing you can do about it. And the only thing that will happen is if you go through the courts, they will, a jury of your peers will determine what the compensation is. So there's no layer of protection for, for landowners in the state of South Dakota when it comes to common carriers. Let's back up to the armed 
guards, basically, the armed employees, the sheriff kind of ushering these folks onto private property. There was some pretty chilling photos that went viral this spring of it's it's your neighbor where they it's an out of state for profit company that's there with armed employees coming onto your land when they're not welcome. It, has that been happening quite a bit? I, I mean, is that kind of how this company is operating it, that you've seen? That's been happening to a fair degree. And um, what kind of started of that, Jared Bosley has always been a adamant opponent of this project and been outspoken about it. And what happened when they, they sent some surveyors initially there, they fabricated a story that uh, Mr. Bosley threatened to kill these surveyors if they were around when he got back as he was about 10 miles away in a field. Well, that all got hauled into court. Mr. Bosley was not allowed to clear his name in court. The ruling kind of stuck, and so they kind of really came down and appeared to target him in that aspect. And the response from that thereafter was that uh, every surveyor going out everywhere that they did not have a, a, a large percentage of the parcels involved were escorted by armed security guards. And when questioned by people about, you know, why are you coming out here with guns? And the response was, well, to protect the surveyors from radical landowners. I'll tell you what, that's something different that I never thought I'd have to see in the United States of America, or especially in South Dakota, to feel oppressed like that and a hostage, basically, on your own private property, because nobody dared do anything as they hauled uh, Mr. Bosley into court and the judge admonished all of the landowners in that room and said any uh, farther interference on behalf of any landowner against the surveying will ultimately be met with contempt of court charges. And so nobody, everybody's afraid to do anything. Our, our law enforcement won't do anything about it because if you were to go out there with a, a sidearm on you, they'll fabricate a story about you and apparently get their way. And here we thought South Dakota was the land of the free, but I think in Florida with all those beaches that gets all the attention, they have castle laws that a man can protect his home and his property. So uh, not to get sassy there, but that's just what kind of comes to mind as I hear this lay out. The Heart of Rural America is presented to you by my dear friends at CK6 Consulting, a cattle business consulting service with a purebred Angus focus. I recently joined the CK6 crew, and I would love to connect with you at an upcoming sale. Check out the sale calendar at ck6consulting.com to learn more about opportunities to invest in elite Angus genetics coming from our progressive and innovative clients who truly exemplify what it means to be the heart of rural America. And for all your semen needs, visit ck6source.com an online stud service that features some of our clients' top-performing bulls. Give Chris Earle, Wes Teeman, Cody Fleeman, or myself a call with any questions or business inquiries you may have. CK6 is all about families helping families, and I'm so proud and grateful to be a part of it. Now let's get back to the show. I've done a poor job of introducing who you are. I, I'm sure people are listening to this and they're saying, who is this guy? And you and I are just so eager to get into the meat and potatoes of the issue. So let's back up a second and talk about who you are, what your family does, where you're located, and how you're impacted personally by this pipeline project. Well, my name is Mark Lapka. I'm a fifth generation farmer and rancher from Leola, South Dakota. 
that's located in McPherson County, which is in north central South Dakota. Our farm, where we've resided since 1882, is about 10 miles south of the, the North Dakota border. I farm with my wife, Holly, and our, our seven-year-old son, Grady, and uh, alongside my parents, Kay and Kevin. We run a, a diversified grain and livestock operation. Our primary crops are corn, soybeans, wheat, and alfalfa. And we also run a fair-sized herd of black Angus cattle that we're particularly fond and, and proud of. And we retain ownership of them from birth until finish. And the pipeline would go through pasture, fields, kind of where are you in line of the project? Well, that's kind of an interesting part of this. Uh, initially, the project was slated to go through a mile of uh, my personal family's land. In the meantime, something happened there. I never asked them to move it. They shifted the path directly off of my intermediate family, probably because I was you know, speaking out a bit about it. It was moved on to my neighbors. My neighbors were told that I didn't want it on me. That's why they have it on them now. But um, in the process, we still have it on a farm that we, my family has leased for about the last 60 years. I have a brother-in-law under condemnation that it's still on. I have an uncle that's under condemnation that it's still on. I have two deceased grandparents that are under condemnation through their estate that it's on. I have two cousins that it's on. So all together and with it, my family, we're probably looking at about six, seven miles of it. And um, I'm not leaving the fight and leaving them holding the bag. And you've been, your family's been on this land for 140 years, correct? 141 this year. Wow. And you've been pretty vocal since the start. And I know one thing that you had kind of told me is you're not a public speaker. You just, you want to farm and raise your kids and, and, and your cattle, but you've been very vocal in media interviews. You spoke at the Capitol when private property owners gathered. I guess, what have you learned from that process of sticking your neck out and speaking out? Because it, it can be kind of lonely doing those kind of things. It can be tough and you can feel the heat. I'm, I'm quite certain you have. Well, it's no tougher than what we go through day in and day out in production agriculture. You know, I got started early. I've been raking hay since I was seven years old. I've taken every calf on our farm and ranch since I was 12 years old. I'm currently 42, so I already got a full career in. But <laughs> I have a deep connection for it because my family has been here this long. It's not just a golden ticket to retire on. We don't look at it like that. We look as we have a responsibility to take care of that and, you know, hopefully turn it into more and leave it in as good as condition as when we got it so that our children and the subsequent generations have the opportunity to carry that legacy on. And it's because of that deep-seated connection that, you know, I've, I've kind of followed this uh, climate agenda for the last several years and was hoping that it would never come to fruition, which it kind of has. But if the family farm wants to have a place in this country and in this industry going forward, it's been so good to me and my family that uh, I, I don't care how uncomfortable it is. It's something that's definitely worth fighting for. And, you know, I'm not alone. The movement has continued to grow there is others in it that are doing just as much as I am, if not more. But it's a team effort. It's a nonpartisan effort, mm -hmm. which is you know something that this day and age doesn't seem to happen. But at the end of the day, what we have is worth fighting for. And if nobody else is going to do it, well, I will.
That's right. If it is to be, it is up to me. I always think about that. And it it would be a lot easier to sit back and be quiet. In fact, I've started to get more vocal on it. I was really excited to see the planes flying overhead at the Brown County Fair. It was at Dakota Fest in Mitchell, and they were flying overhead saying no to this pipeline project. And people have asked me, oh, is it going through your family's land? Like, why, why do you care? And it's like, no, it's not. But I understand very well what private property rights mean in this country. And I often think back to George Washington, our founding fathers understood it very well. Um, he said, freedom and property rights are inseparable. You can't have one without the other. So whether it's the shirt on your back, the food in your refrigerator, the car that you own, or the land that you pay property tax on, that frankly, when you're buying acres of land, you are saying no to a lot of other things. You're going to spend your life paying for that land and keeping it, fighting for it to keep it in the family. This is a serious thing. This sets a precedent too that is so scary that I can't imagine if, if people think it's going to end at one carbon pipeline. And we'll talk about the difference here too between carbon and other types of pipelines. But if they think it stops at one, they're kidding themselves. And they're also, I think it's one of those things, if these companies are saying that it's to benefit the planet, they're lying because it is a joke. It is phony, shoddy science that doesn't make any sense to me. I can't wrap my head around burying plant food. If, if that was God's design, that's how it would be. And so to me, I have a really hard time going along with this narrative, this climate change narrative, because it goes against everything I know as a producer of what's required to grow plants, to raise livestock, to provide the essentials of life. And so every single person that enjoys eating and not starving to death probably needs to get engaged in this fight is, is what I think. And so I guess my question to you is, do you see folks outside of agriculture caring and, and getting getting involved? Oh, to some degree, there's a fair amount that are. But I, I'd say for the, the most part, you know, like I was told many times, you know, you're not really affected until you're affected. Yep. And it seems like it takes being affected in order to, to get involved. But however, you know, it, it, it's not so narrow of a scope issue anymore. It's such an expansive project like the Dakota Access Pipeline, which was an oil pipeline that came through. I think that was like 281 miles that traversed the state of South Dakota, whereas this summit project is about 480 miles. So there's just a, a more people affected to begin with there. And then that's compounded by the Navigator Pipeline. That's another 115 miles or so. So there, there's more affected there to begin with. But it's not just the carbon pipeline issues. There was a, a, a pump station, a Gregory pump station down by Gregory, yep. South Dakota. That was an area that they wanted to basically come in and condemn about oh, 4,000 acres originally that I believe there was seven multi-generational farms sitting in that footprint that they were going to dam up uh, a coulee along the river, pump uh, water out of the river, run it through a hydroelectric dam. That project, in the meantime, has since gone away. But in the last couple of days, I've become aware of uh, clear across the state from the same company, there is solar panel prospectuses going out, and I've never seen one of this expanse before. And if eminent domain is allowed to so trivially be utilized for this carbon pipeline, because currently in South Dakota, they can't for the solar panels or the windmills. But if it does go through for this pipeline, that's coming. And then all of a sudden you don't have the ability to use that ground, you know, because I do uh, agree to some extent you can farm above a pipeline. And like you alluded to earlier, if this was an oil or a gas pipeline, 
none of us, you know, up here for the most part would have a problem with that. That's something that are, is essential to our economy and to our way of life. But uh, here with this carbon pipeline, that's a whole different animal. There's no benefit to any consumer or producer or economy for that. Right. Well, you've said in interviews before that, you know, water pipelines have gone through and they've never once had to use eminent domain to to get those projects in because that's a shared public benefit. That is something that everybody needs. And it's just kind of mutually understood. And I'm glad you brought up the hydro project, because to me, that's an example of your voice counts. So I've had people tell me that, Amanda, you're on the losing side of this. You might as well tell the farmers to take the money. The bids are astronomical at this point and just get along to get along. This is coming whether you want it or not. However, that hydro plant, we have bull customers. They they buy, buy from us uh, down there by Gregory and they called us and said, our ranch that's been in our family for generations is going to be 60 feet underwater for this project. Mind you, that hydro plant, for every $1 they were going to spend on it, they were only going to get 70 cents back of energy. That energy was going to go out of state. And meanwhile, this private company could come in and say, hey, your ranching dream is over. Your American dream is over because now it's our turn. And uh, I told him right away, I said, you see what's happening with the pipeline. We saw, you know, everybody, it seems like there was a lot of producers that caved right away. And then it becomes a domino effect of like, I got to get the cash first or else I'm just going to be fighting a legal battle and I'm, they're going to drain me of money and resources. And so I said, you, you need to have an emergency landowner meeting. Everybody needs to be on the same page. Nobody buckles or caves and you stand united. And, and they did. And they've created an excellent coalition of producers and private property owners. They're staying active, even though the hydro plant company is is gone they, they'll probably be back you know but for now they're having to to cut ties and run with their tails between their their legs and it's it's really cool to see and it, it is a reminder that one individual that you might be the little guy in this fight but as i say in my intro of this show i i put my money on the underdog because there's a lot of fight in us here in rural South Dakota and, and across this country in rural America. And and you only lose if you stop fighting. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's been told to me, and I, I, I've come to use this quite often, that you don't have a chance if you're not in the game. You miss a, 100% of the swings that you never take. Yep. And it's, it's because of what we have that's so important that we have to keep pressing on because, you know, there seems to be a, a real movement for control in this country. You know, the whole COVID situation was utilized to try to force people to stay home and, and tell them what to do. And that ultimately failed. But now it seems like the, this climate change agenda is going to be the next vehicle for that. And if we're able to alienate our private property constitutional right because of that, that's kind of the first domino to fall that America might be over as we know it. Because which one is next? Are they going to take away the freedom of the press, which, you know, what we're doing right now and how we've, the only way we've been able to get anywhere, get any traction and get our word out? Are they going to take away the, the freedom to assemble like we did down in Pier or Leola previously earlier to that? You know, it's those kind of events that have allowed us to 
propel this issue to getting some traction. And as far as the naysayers saying, you're never going to get anywhere, you're never going to get anything done. Well, just about uh, two weeks ago, the state of North Dakota, the people did get something done. And it wasn't, you know, a, a split decision. It was a unanimous decision that denied the permit for the Summit Carbon Solutions Pipeline. And beings, that's the state that they wanted to sequester the carbon. You know, the PUC in South Dakota just as well dismissed this application. It has, in effect, become the pipeline to nowhere. That certainly put a little pep in everyone's step to see that, to see a righteous decision made in favor of the people, of we the people who pay the taxes, who are part of the fabric of our communities here in these rural states, and who are saying, you know what, this isn't right. And this, they hadn't fleshed out the safety on this project. They hadn't fully explained the impact. And basically what I've heard from these companies, and I want to dive into who Summit and Navigator are next, but basically they've said, we're all too stupid to understand the safety studies they've done anyway. So why do they have to explain themselves? I mean, just how arrogant and how incredibly unbelievable, um, just the greed and the power that they think they have to come in and tell us, like, get out of the way or uh, or else, essentially. Is that kind of the attitude you're seeing from Navigator and Summit? Oh, I think that attitude is very prevalent. You know, the, the rural populations, especially the Midwestern states, there appears to be a misconception that we all tend to be uneducated, basically rednecks and, and hicks to some degree. And they look down on us because of that. And I don't know if it's that elitist mentality that leads to that, but I, I think they found out through the process, there's a whole bunch of us that aren't that dumb. I mean, it takes a lot of business savvy in this day and age to, to survive and operate in modern agriculture, whether it be all the uh, uh, bookwork that you have to do, as much as computers and satellites have become prevalent in you know, grain farming and down to the cattle science of things now. I mean, it's not like you turn the bulls out and just wean the calves year after year. There's a lot of data collection, a lot of carcass data collection that uh, you have to fine tune everything. And so, uh, you know, farmers and ranchers for the most part, they are a pretty clever bunch because <laughs> especially to survive in our climate and environment up here, it takes some scrap. Working cattle can be stressful at times, but the job is made so much easier with equipment that is safe, strong, and simply designed. I highly recommend Real Tough Livestock Equipment for all your working facility needs. We just installed the Deluxe Chute at Radke Landing Cattle, and it has been an absolute game changer as we run cows through our chute during AI season. It's durable and easy to use, and it's made to last a lifetime. Real Tough offers a wide range of products, including calving barns, panels, loading chutes, tubs, alleys, and portable working systems. Manufactured in the U.S. of A., Real Tough is family-owned and operated. Their commitment to helping farm and ranch families truly exemplifies what this show is all about. Learn more at realtough.com, that's T-U-F-F, -F, and be sure to tell them Amanda sent you to receive an extra bonus with your order. Let's get you some iconic green Real Tough equipment headed your way. I promise you're going to love it. And I'm glad you brought up kind of the COVID correlation because yes, during COVID, we got to see the government decide who was essential to make a living and who wasn't. We saw hundreds of thousands of businesses closed down. So the economic impact was insane. I mean, we saw the carving out of middle class and the transfer of wealth 
like we've never seen before. We saw uh, the medical system become weaponized and it basically was, we're going to take your body autonomy and we get to decide what you do with your body, not you. And we got to see churches shut down that it wasn't essential for us to gather and to worship and to have our faith and practice it in our communities. And now with this pipeline, with this climate change tyranny, we're also being told this land that you live on, the very ground that your feet stand on, that's not yours either. And it all kind of aligns to me, this big agenda, which is you will own nothing and you will be happy. And it's scary. And so let's talk about who's behind this. Let's talk about Summit and Navigator. I want to clear the air on a few things. What ties do they have? Uh, we had talked beforehand about some of the interesting connections that are maybe a little nefarious that people should know about. Well, Summit currently has about 450 approximately investors, a straight answer on a, on a final number, but only about five of them have been made public. And one that probably hits closest to home for me, as we have been John Deere faithful, or pretty much the entire existence of our farm is John Deere is the, the number one largest investor in Summit Carbon Solutions. Another investor is uh, Continental Resources, the largest player oil company in the Bakken oil field in North Dakota. And probably the most controversial one is a company called TPG Rises. Um, it's a fund out of uh, Texas. One of their primary investors is the Silk Road Fund, which is a fund that is supplied th from the Communist China Party in uh, um, China. Now, Navigator, they're primarily financed by BlackRock and followed up close second by the United Arab Emirates. And I guess I did leave one out. There is a 10% ownership stake in Summit Carbon Solutions by SK&E Enterprises. It is a company out of Korea, and they have already had some bad dealings with the United States Department of Defense. They were a contractor for them and were fined upwards of $70 million for not doing something on the up and up. And so one of the concerns from the very beginning in all this, everybody was concerned about, well, if these easements ever got sold off to some foreign company, nobody was too particularly comfortable with that happening with their generational family farmland. Well, we don't have to wonder anymore. The foreign ownership is already there. Mm -hmm. And we have politicians that are fundraising by saying we're going to stop foreign ownership or the selling of land to foreign entities. And yet here we are right in our backyard with a foreign backed two companies that do not represent the American people or the best interests of the people who call this land home or our food security for that matter. So it certainly doesn't give me the warm and fuzzy feeling to hear these backers. It, it, it rises more questions than it does alleviate concerns. How about the tax incentives? Because it seems like there is a great rush. I know there is a huge rush to get this project through before 2025. What are the tax incentives? How much money are we talking about funded by you and I for this project as taxpayers? Well, in the Inflation uh, Reduction Act or the Inflation, Inflation Enhancement Act, that I like to call it because I don't understand how you can throw more money at an inflation problem. But there again, maybe we're not we're a little, little too simple minded for that. Um, <laughs> There's the 45Q tax credits, and this has been expanded out to 2033, so there's not the 2025 deadline anymore. The 45Q tax credits is a $85 a ton per metric ton of CO2 sequestered that is available to these companies. And the Summit Pipeline right now has 20 million tons 
of potential capacity. So 20 million times $85, about $1.75 billion per year that will come out of the taxpayer's pocket and be directed, no pun intended, via pipeline to as few people at the top of the ownership uh, hierarchy of these companies as possible. And so those tax credits are available for 12 years. They will sunset after 12 years. So basically, you know, around $20 billion will come out of the taxpayer's pocket to accomplish absolutely nothing. The other aspect of that is the ethanol companies will once again be directly subsidized by the 45Z tax program, which is a clean fuels, carbon-free fuels program of upwards of $1 a gallon. And so that will lead into uh, quite a windfall for these companies without any real production or any change in production happening. So I know I gotta, I've got to let you go soon to get to the hay field, but let's do some rapid fire misconceptions or debunking on things you've heard from people. Number one, are you anti-pipeline? Absolutely not. If this was an oil or a gas pipeline, or for sure a water pipeline, I'd be all in favor of it. And so what is it about burying carbon that concerns you the most? Well, number one, I look at the uh, fiscal responsibility of it. The taxpayers shouldn't have to handle something like that. That should be completely market driven if necessary on top of its uh, carbon dioxide. That's what our plants utilize. You know, we've talked about the last 20 years or so, why are our yields been going up? We've always attributed it to better farming practices and better genetics. Well, the uh, concentration of CO2 in our atmosphere has increased a little bit, and I think that is part of the reason, I believe now, why we're seeing better yields. So if we are to curtail that inclusion in the atmosphere a little bit, will we realize lower yields? Pathway to starvation. I always say it really is. How about are you anti-ethanol? Absolutely not. My family and I have uh, sold corn to the ethanol plants for years and years, and I, I think it is just absolutely a great product. We utilize the distillers in the finishing of our cattle. And, uh, but I, I believe ethanol, like every other segment of agriculture, needs to survive in some form of a balance. It seems like if you put all your eggs in one basket, what about every other basket? What about those that argue this is a public benefit? Uh, because that's the big argument that I've been sharing is I don't want no eminent domain for private gain. This is a private company capturing millions and millions of taxpayer dollars for a climate change science project pushed by the Biden administration. And I don't see how it benefits families, our food supply, our land, our private property rights. So I guess, what would you say to that? Well, the one way that they claim that it's going to be a benefit is by raising the tax revenue for the state and the individual counties that it's passing through. However, there's already been documented cases of parcels of land put up for sale that have disclosed this pipeline could be running across it. And they were no sale at a rate of about 30% less than the market value. So the, the likelihood of this pipe affecting property values is already real. And that's when it's proposed. If it is actually put in place, will it decrease it by more? And so will the counties realize a net loss of tax revenue if this project is, is put in place? And then the what was the other part of the question, Amanda? I probably threw a lot at you. I don't even yeah. remember. <laughs> <laughs> I get so fired. You know me. I get so fired up about yeah. this. And there was a lot there. 
Yes, yes. Well, I, I must say why I've gotten so passionate about this is, I mean, meeting you and meeting people like you that have a dog in the fight, it, it really brings the picture front and center. But there was a phone call I received from a little old lady that was going to be impacted by this. All of her neighbors had folded around her and she's basically the last man standing. She called me crying, talking to me for two hours about how this is impacting her. And, you know, we hear from our politicians that they stand with the landowners. We, we hear from our elected officials that they believe in private property rights and freedom too. And yet at the end of the day, what I see is our politicians are moving. They have to ask themselves a serious question, which to me is, are you a true conservative or are you a corporatist? And if we are prioritizing these big private corporations over the best interest of the individuals, are we free? And are you doing your job as an elected servant to serve the people that they put their hand on a Bible and vowed to serve? And so I, I say all that to ask you, you were in peer just a month ago asking for a special session. Do you think we'll get that special session here in South Dakota to address these issues? Well, I haven't given up hope yet. I'm optimistic and we're going to keep fighting for that because we have to. And, and, you know, the story about the phone call you got from that gal, that really kind of strikes a chord with me. And because, you know, the, the, the reason for the Constitution, the founding fathers, for some reason, were so far beyond their time on things. And we are established as a constitutional republic. In a constitutional republic, the rights of the individual are protected from the wishes of the masses, to be exact. And so just because the majority is going that way, the constitutional rights of that one person should not be affected. If they ultimately say that they don't want it, they should have that right. And, you know, it's been thrown at me by the companies before. Well, why should one person be able to disrupt an entire project? And my response is to that is, why would you let one person disrupt an entire project? It's very easy to go around one person. And we don't live in a mob rule. We don't, People say we live in a democracy and it's majority rules. No, we re live in a federal republic and every individual citizen has a voice and a, and a right to speak out and protect their best interests. Another question for you. Elizabeth Burns Thompson with Navigator was recently interviewed in Successful Farming Magazine and talking about eminent domain, she said, we are incentivized to do this in a voluntary process as much as possible. When we talk about condemnation or eminent domain as a tool of last resort, we don't say that just to make ourselves feel good. What I translate that to is we're going to keep raising the bid. We're going to keep asking more per acre. But if we don't get our way, we are going to use eminent domain. I mean, is that kind of the mentality that you're seeing? Oh, for sure. Because, you know, uh, something that, that got seared into my mind when we were in down in the legislative session last year lobbying on our own behalf, that Hugh Bartles, the Speaker of the House, made the statement of these companies require the use of eminent domain in order to motivate individuals to negotiate. Otherwise, nobody would talk to them. Yeah. And so that's it's very clear why Summit played that card right off the bat. And see, they were the first ones seeking easements, and they claim to be 70%. I kind of, of easement signed up. I kind of argue that number. There's never been any evidence in this day and age. You never take anybody's word for anything. And I think the pushback that has come from the summit one has influenced the navigator line to some extent. They just went through their evidentiary hearing in the PUC, and they're only at 30% sign up. So you're going to probably be looking at an eminent domain filing that's larger on a percentage basis than the summit one. 
But the bottom line is, even if they eminent domain 30% of the summit line being darn near 500 miles, you're talking about 150 miles of pipeline in the state of South Dakota being condemned. That's almost three quarters as much as the entire DAPL was. was. And if you add the, the, the condemnation for the uh, navigator line on top of that, are we really going to let this happen, you know, in our state? In a state that stands for freedom, this doesn't feel free at all. And I, I would agree with that. You know, that's a tactic that they use is to say everybody, the majority have signed up. I call that a straight, bold-faced lie. I spoke in Valley Springs here a couple of weeks ago on a farm who is in direct line of the carbon pipeline. And he straight up told me none of our neighbors are caving here. And he also told me the current bid. And it is pretty astronomical. It's pretty crazy. Um, but he said, no, none of us are interested. We don't want it here. And frankly, no should mean no. Someone told me, well, if the money is high enough, then just take it. And I say, I guess to me, I said, then I don't think you understand what this land means to families. What does the land mean to you? Can you can you explain to us what it means? Because it's more than money. It's It definitely is more than money. Again, you know, the, the whole reason that we came over here, my family or my predecessors in the first place, was uh, they were seeing their property rights taken away from Germany and from Russia. And so they came somewhere that they wanted to provide a better way of life, a freer way of life, because what was the, the biggest draw was the Homestead Act that they could come out and get 160 acres of land that was theirs. And that's how we got established here. And it was through that hard work and determination over the last 140 some years that kept us here. And why are we here? We're not here at the end of the day because we are grain producers. We're not here at the end of the day because we're livestock producers. It's because we're landowners. If we didn't have the, the exclusive ownership of that land that it would allow us to produce, it would be all for nothing. It is the absolute lifeblood of a family farm. And, you know, we truly are a family farm. All the work is done by a member. We don't have any extra hired labor. And um, it's a way of life that has treated us well, very comfortably. Are we rich by any means? No, but, um, you know, we're very comfortable. And that's something that I want to see continue. Can do that by keeping ownership, but it's by watching what we do to that land to maintain the financial aspect of it, because that's how we're able to borrow. That's how we're able to survive. And so the land, it means a lot more than just dollars and cents. I would agree. And, and for those saying that, you know, a pipeline goes in and then you don't see it again and the land is in perfect shape, I would argue the opposite, that when you have a pipeline project, you need to be very responsible about the types of projects you're letting in. It really has to have a public benefit because for anyone that owns grasslands here in South Dakota, this native grass, you cannot replace it. Once it's dug up, it you can never have the biodiversity, the 100 plus plant varieties that are on that land. It's never the same ever again. And so as a steward of the land, I, I think it is our responsibility to be very vocal about what projects go through our state and what the benefit is. Let's quickly talk about the safety implications for families. What are you concerned about on the safety side of this? Well, obviously, you know, what does carbon dioxide do as a gas? It's a relatively inert material. It disperses in our atmosphere. God and Mother Nature put the plants in place there and through the cycle of the seasons to deplete it. And then over the winter, it builds back up. And it's always been a very symbiotic process. What scares me here is that what's the solution to pollution? Dilution. Mm -hmm. 
Well, here's where we're going to be doing the exact opposite. We're going to be taking that relatively inert material as a gas, compressing it into what they call a supercritical high-dense phase liquid. It has both characteristics of a gas and a liquid. They do that to make it more efficient and easily transportable. Well, what can happen in the event of a rupture is that pipe could, you know, burst and then it super cools and then it condenses and all that liquid, it expands on, on the numbers I've seen at a volume of about 535,000 times to one. It will sink down to the ground, follow low-lying areas, move around with the wind. If your ambient temperature is, you know, zero or, or below, which in South Dakota here happens quite often, it will disperse slower. And the biggest concern is we're not allowed to see what they refer to as plume dispersion modeling. The companies have all asked the PUC to keep that confidential because they claim that it is a possible terrorist target. So now not only are we going to not know what a map could look like and how to protect ourselves in the event of a rupture, we're getting a terrorist target put in our backyard. Nobody Lovely. likes that too much. Lovely. Okay. I uh, I know we have to wrap, but I got to get you to the hay field, but this is a timely report because there are some time sensitive dates we need people to know about. So if you're still listening after this 43 minute interview, this is probably the most critical thing we need you to hear. In Brookings, August 22nd, what's going on? South Dakota State Representative John Hansen will be holding a private property and eminent domain debate versus Elizabeth Burns Thompson and an executive vice president of Navigator. And I, I think that's a, 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 going to be a very good event to attend. Representative Hansen has been one of our best supporters in our government. We're all really thankful for everything he's done. So it'll be a very informative event to see the, the opposing sides. And then later in the week, we see what with the PUC? On the 24th and the 25th of August, the PUC is going to be holding a hearing discussing the possible preemption of a Minnehaha and a Mooney, Moody County zoning ordinance. Now, the state PUC does have the ability to preempt them, and most of those ordinances pertain to setbacks to protect the future development of houses, cities, towns, farms, and uh, they were put in place by the counties. And an interesting little aspect is the PUC has never ever in the state of South Dakota preempted a, uh, a zoning ordinance. So it would be a, a precedent setting event if they were to. And can the general public go to that meeting? Yes, that's open to the public. Okay. And then September 11th, what's happening then? September 11th is when the uh, the three-week evidentiary hearing for the summit pipeline begins. And I know there's going to be some sporadic dates that uh, it is not going on, but uh, that's where they'll go through the process like the PUC did with Navigator here a couple weeks ago, where all sides will be allowed to present their evidence and testimony and um, ultimately see where things shake out at. Okay. And I guess action items for people listening, what can they do to help? Well, probably the biggest thing is to contact our governor. Our governor has a, a lot of power and influence in this state. She does have the sole ability to call a special session and could do uh, as such. Contact your legislators. Let them know where they stand. Um, we've got a lot of them on our side, but we, we still require a lot of the other ones' help to hopefully get something done. If we can't get a special session, we're going to move on and, and go after the next legislative session as well. And then the other thing is, is talk to your county commissions. 
you know, we still have a, a lot of local control, although that's trying to be watered down to some degree. And that takes all of us fighting at a local level to keep that in place. But probably the one of the biggest and easiest things to do is, is you know, talk to your neighbors, get on kind of the same page, because these things are going to start coming all over. And it's better to be prepared than caught flat footed like we were. Final thoughts. What advice do you have to people who are nervous or scared of the pushback or the hate that they might receive? What advice would you have now that you've spoken out a ton and done a a lot of media interviews? Well, you just have to kind of cross that bridge, you know, everybody personally. It's uncomfortable. You get some uncomfortable feelings and you get worried about it. But I know the number one thing that I always do is first I think about my family and how, how good of a life we've had and how good of a life I want my son and, you know, his potential children to have. And then I, I think about the farm and beings I've, I've been part of the farm for such a long time. I care about it that much. And you can really surprise yourself that when properly motivated, you'll be surprised what you can accomplish. You know, I, I agree. I, I pray to God to give me the strength and the courage to speak out, even if my voice shakes or even if I'm the least popular person in the room and everybody hates me. I I do. I think about my parents, my grandparents, my kids, my future grandkids and what their future looks like. I think about our food security in this country. And and ultimately, I think about our veterans that have laid down their lives for this country and that we've gotten mighty comfortable just being apathetic and getting to enjoy our lives. Very cushy, minding our own business. For those of us in agriculture, we just we like raising our kids on the land and having that challenge of raising crops and livestock. And most, for the most part, we want to be peaceful and left alone, but the battle is here now. And I guess I'll close with Ronald Reagan quote. He says, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for protected and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. Any parting words, Mark? Well, I don't know if you said it earlier, but after that quote, I would just, there's been a quote that I found through this process and it was by, by George Washington. And he says, you know, property rights and freedom are inseparable. Mm-hmm. One cannot survive without the other. And I, I, I just think it's amazing that something that, you know, rang true 250 years ago still does today. Our founding fathers understood it very well. And and that's what the Constitution was written for, to protect the individuals. And that's what we're doing here is protecting the individuals on the heart of rural America, sharing their stories because the mainstream media won't. And we're fighting for what is right. Uh, So thank you, Mark, for coming on today and, and keep up the good fight out there. Thank you for having me and keep at it. All right. Take care. The Heart of Rural America is presented in part by Lynn's Heritage Angus and Meats by Lynn's. Founded in 1963 as a Chicago neighborhood butcher shop and growing to an international supplier of high quality beef in the white tablecloth space, Meats by Lynn's is a four generation family owned business. The Lynn's Heritage Angus program was developed to allow for greater control of the end product. A focus on using elite Angus genetics while also managing the feed, environment, age, and weight of the cattle, allows Fred Lins and his crew the ability to source the very best beef produced from the heart of their Angus program, meeting and exceeding the needs of their customers worldwide. Discover more at LinsHeritageAngus.com and shop for beef at ShopLins.com. Use code AMANDA20 to save 20% on your next beef purchase. 
That's a pretty sweet deal, my fellow beef lovers. Thank you for tuning into the show. If you found value in the message, I would be so grateful if you would subscribe and share to help spread the word. Until next time we meet on the dusty trail, I'm Amanda Radke, and this is the heart of rural America.